Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and for the first time ever, I'm going solo today. As I'm sure you already know by now, the Warriors had quite the eventful start to free agency Sunday, losing Kevin Durant to the Knicks, bringing back D'Angelo Russell in a sign-and-trade deal, and trading Andre Iguodala to Memphis for a future first-round pick. In the span of just a few hours, Golden State ensured that the team that opens Chase Center will look far different than the one that closed Oracle Arena. Will it be worth it? I try to figure that out right after the break. Hey, welcome back to Warriors Off Court. Um, normally I have a guest. Normally I have Rusty Simmons or Ann Killian or someone involved with the Warriors, a coach or a player or an executive. This is going to be a little bit different episode. Um, I'm actually going to go solo today. It's it's what I would call an emergency podcast. I had another episode planned to go up today, an interview with Aaron Miles, the Warriors summer league coach, but uh, our podcast guru, King Kaufman, slacked me this morning and said, hey, man, you know, I, I'm not sure... Aaron Miles is going to make a lot of sense today, given uh, given everything that happened yesterday on the first day of free agency. And I completely agree with him. So we will have that Aaron Miles episode up later. But right now, we need to get into what was one of the wildest free agency days in NBA history, definitely in Warriors franchise history. Uh, I can tell you that from 8 a.m. until... 1 a.m. I was uh, turning out articles because there was just so much going on. And obviously, keep in mind, free agency did not start until 3 p.m., but I was getting ready for the Clay news, the Durant news. I also am working on a season review. There was just a lot going on yesterday, and, and I'm still kind of trying to wade through it i barely got any sleep last night but i'm trying to figure out what this all means because to be honest with you it is very complicated especially when you get into the specifics of the salary cap and the luxury tax ramifications and and all that I'm, i'm not bob myers i'm not a salary cap guru but i do have a working knowledge of it and i i know what it means for the warriors and Uh, Yesterday only made that a lot more complex. So let's start chronologically. Uh, Let's let's get into this a little bit. Um, The news, the Kevin Durant news initially going into Sunday, I had been told that the Warriors expected it to potentially linger well into this week. Um, I was told by one person in the organization that they were not surprised. They would not be surprised if it went past July 4th and you know, there we were right at 3 p.m. on June 30th, the start of free agency. Um, and Kevin Durant went and announced it on the Instagram of the boardroom, uh, a company owned pro- one of his company owned projects, um, announcing that he was going to the Brooklyn Nets. And about an hour or so before that, it had actually broken. So we were already aware of that decision by the time he announced it. And the fact that he was going to the Nets to me wasn't so surprising is just the fact that it came out as quickly as it did. Um, I really did believe talking to everyone I had talked to leading up to free agency that he was strongly considering the Warriors still that it was 
probably a three-horse race between the Knicks, the Nets, and the Warriors with the Clippers having an outside, outside, outside chance. Um, but, you know, that, what the, given the timing, you got to think that maybe the hay was, was in the barn, so to speak. Uh, Kevin Durant had been pretty recluse the past couple of weeks. You haven't heard really anything from him. All we've known is that he's in New York recovering from his Achilles surgery, hanging out a lot with his uh, with his business manager and best friend, Rich Kleiman, who's a native New Yorker. But uh, Bob Myers and the Warriors had expected to, to meet with Durant. My understanding at this point is that Draymond Green had gone out there recently about a week ago and talked to him. Uh, I believe that Steph Curry was able to catch up with him for a little bit on his way back from his Under Armour tour. But uh, Bob Myers was initially planning to go out to L.A. and secure the max deal with Durant or the max deal with Klay Thompson right at the start of free agency. Um, But I think he saw the writing on the wall a little bit and he he they were able to kind of reached an agreement with Clay before free agency started, which freed up Bob Myers to fly to New York. And he sat down with with uh, Durant, I believe, early yesterday afternoon. And Durant and Rich Kleiman informed him of Durant's decision, saying that they were signing a four-year deal with the Nets. Um, he took significantly less money, uh, at least 57 million dollars total uh it's a four-year deal instead of a five-year deal which he could have signed with the warriors um the the big thing there is that durant is going to be 35 in 2004 or 2024 2025 in the last year of what would have been that five-year deal and he could have been making roughly 50 million dollars that year um and for a guy who's coming off an Achilles injury, a career-threatening injury, has a history of of problems with with his foot, um, it, it would have made a lot of sense to go for the guaranteed money uh, because you know even for someone who's a mega earner for like Kevin Durant, fifty million dollars is still a lot of money, and to leave that on the table is not would not be easy for anyone. You would think. Um, but he decided to kind of gamble on himself. Uh, you know, I trust that he can come back strong from the Achilles injury. Um, another thing here is that Kevin Durant has said publicly he's not sure how deep into his 30s he wants to play. I would not be shocked if he retired at 34 and maybe didn't even just even want to play in 2024-25. Um, you know, he's not one of those guys that wants to be hanging on by a thread as he gets closer to his 40s, you know, he has things he wants to do outside of playing the game. He wants to be an owner or a GM, be in a front office role. Um, so that might have been part of it. But, you know, the reality is this came down to the fact that Kevin Durant wanted to play with his friends. Um, Kevin Durant is someone who we all know uh, cares a lot about what other people think, what other people think he, he cares a lot about his legacy. And I'm sure that was part of it, but I think the deciding factor actually ended up being the chance to play with 
Kawhi or Kyrie Irving. Sorry, <laughs> Freudian slip there. Uh, Kyrie Irving, who uh, after a pretty tumultuous season with Boston, signed with uh, signed with the Nets, and then the Nets to kind of sweeten the pot, so to speak, for for Durant went after DeAndre Jordan, center DeAndre Jordan from the Knicks, who is also very close friends with Kevin Durant. Now, when I say these two are very close friends with Kevin Durant, I'm not just saying you know, kind of work friends, you know, a lot of, you know, the type of friend that you might get a drink with after, after a long day at work, or, you know, maybe, maybe go to their bridal shower or whatever, you know, it's, it's not, it's not that type of friendship. It's the, it's a true lasting lifelong friendship. I believe that Kevin Durant considers both Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan two of his closest friends in life. I believe they will both be in his, his, uh, his party when he does get married someday, uh, assuming he does get married. He's actually said that publicly that they will, that both Kyrie and Deandre Jordan will be groomsmen in his wedding. So that just says, that tells you how close they are. And, you know, being around the team every day, last season, just getting a, a a feel for the vibe in that locker room, a, a vibe for how Kevin Durant was feeling. I just didn't, I didn't feel like he was having fun last season. Um, there was the joy that he is used to playing with just wasn't there. Now he played great. He played great, but it was more of a, a business like approach. Um, I didn't, I didn't see that happiness come through. He didn't, I'm not, I'm sure there could be a lot of factors for that. There could have been some personal things behind the scenes. I, I think there were, there were, uh, you know, it, it could have just gotten a little stale, uh, with the Warriors, you know, Kevin Durant is someone it's well chronicled who likes change. He likes to be on the move. And, you know, after a couple of years kind of accomplishing the goal, winning a couple titles, winning a couple uh, finals MVP awards, the luster might have worn off a little bit. And um, I feel like deep down, he felt like, I need to have fun again. And how am I going to have fun? I'm going to have fun by going to New York, uh, a major market, um, you know, with with all the pressures and challenges that, that come with that. And then teaming up with two of my closest friends in life who I've wanted to play with for a long time. You know, he's been talking to Kyrie Irving uh, since they first played together on the U S national team about teaming up in the NBA someday. Um, and, you know, this is something going back to, you know, early in the season on podcasts and what have you, when I was asked about what will go into Durant's decision, I, I always said, if Durant goes to the Knicks, because that was obviously the big speculation most of the season. If Durant goes to the Knicks, he will go to the Knicks largely to play with Kyrie Irving. I, I think it'll be a situation where they choose where they're playing and then they go there. And I actually, to be honest with you, uh, said that on a podcast around February. Um, yeah, February. This was right after he had gone nine days without talking to media and then called out reporters and said he doesn't trust any of us um, after that San Antonio game. 
um, in the wake of all the reports about him being linked to the Knicks because the Knicks traded Christos Porzingis to Dallas, um, largely to free up cap space for two max salary slots to target Kyrie and Durant. And there was one time where, and I'm not going to get into a lot of specifics here, but basically I said something on a podcast where I basically just said that. I said that I thought it'd be a situation where Durant would go kind of follow Kyrie. He would want to go wherever Kyrie is going. And it got back to me that that Durant was really not happy with the connotation there, with the implication there, and uh, was upset that I would say something like that publicly. Um, but here we are, you know, July 1st, and... You know, you don't know the details of did he necessarily, quote unquote, follow him? I mean, obviously, it came out earlier that Kyrie was going to the Nets. I think that was in I think that was a done deal for a while. Um, So did he follow Kyrie? You know, that might be a little bit semantics, but the reality is Kyrie did play a huge factor in his decision. And uh you know, I think that playing with Kyrie and, and kind of as an added bonus, DeAndre Jordan was just as big of a factor as what this could mean for his legacy. But I will say that the Nets have always made a lot of sense, um, a lot of sense uh, from a basketball standpoint. You know, they have some good role guys. I think they're well run. They have a they have a solid coach. They have, in my mind, one of the best general managers in the league, uh, in Sean Marks. And, you know, they they managed to be competitive despite having no draft picks. I mean, think about that. That's It's pretty incredible what they did uh, in the wake of the Paul Pierce and uh, the Paul Pierce trade and the Kevin Garnett trade. Uh, they basically gave up all their future assets, and Sean Marks came in and, and still – you know, put together some, some pieces and, and they made their first playoffs in four years uh, last year. And I think I'm sure that Durant followed that and was impressed by that and thought, you know what, if this organization can do this with, you know, relatively a hodgepodge roster, I mean, their best player was D'Angelo Russell, who we will obviously get to in a minute. He's looking like he's a warrior now, uh, but their best player was D'Angelo Russell, who was really on the outs in a lot of ways toward the end of his tenure with the Lakers. A lot of people thought he was going to be a really talented young prospect that would never totally pan out, but the Nets maximized his gifts, and he was an all-star uh, last season, and you know, D'Angelo Russell's a good player, and like I said, we will get into that shortly, but he is not Kevin Durant, and he is not Kyrie Irving. Um, and it, it obviously became pretty clear, um, pretty clear when they end, ended up signing Kyrie that D'Angelo Russell would not be returning to Brooklyn. Um, but, you know, he was one of the most, if not the most, sought after restricted free agent on the market um, with. Uh, in the wake of that news, um, you know, this is a guy who's 23 years old. He's a high level skilled playmaker. Um, and 
you know, the, the sky is kind of the limit, so to speak, for him. Um, there was a lot of talk about Minnesota. There's some talk about the Lakers. Um, you know, he his stock was really helped by by his all-star campaign, understandably, deservedly. Um, but, you know, the one thing about the Warriors, and, and, I, and I said this entering free agency, is, you know, you look at their situation on paper and you say, they're kind of screwed. You know, they're, they don't, the, the salary cap limitations on them, the, all the heavy constraints they're facing. It's hard to imagine a world where they can salvage someone like Durant leaving because all they really have, because even with Durant gone, they're still capped out. So all they really have is the taxpayer mid-level exception of $5.7 million. Uh, dollars, which is not a lot of money, especially if you're looking at the contracts being doled out right now. I mean, a mid-level exception is not going to get you much more than like a decent role player. You know, it's not going to get you a true difference maker. And then beyond that, they just have minimum contracts. Um, you know, with Durant not coming back, they don't have the disabled player exception, which could have been super helpful. Um, but then one thing that was had been talked about was, you know, one thing the Warriors could potentially do is try to orchestrate a sign and trade with whichever team, whichever team Durant plans to sign with. And, you know, it's highly complicated, highly complicated. And like I said earlier, I'm still navigating some of the nuances of this deal because it's very confusing. Um, but, this is a huge tip off the fact that the warriors were able to pull this off in the 11th hour last night shows you that the warriors a were probably pretty sure that Kevin Durant was leaving and B they were well prepared. Um, they had done their homework. I'm sure that, but long before uh, Bob Myers sat down with KD yesterday, he had, the dominoes in place in his mind, at least to pursue a sign and trade. And, um, you know, the, this was obvious and you got, you got to give some credit to Durant here too, because, um, Durant could have easily said, no, I'm just gone. You know, I, I, I've given you guys enough for, for three years. You know, he has to, he has to agree to this and he did. And, um, that ended up being huge, for the Warriors because um, thanks to his his involvement and uh, and everything, the Warriors were able to pull a proverbial rabbit out of their hat. I mean, this was this was some real <laughs> salary cap gymnastics in a in relatively short order, um, and it came at a, a massive cost. So the Warriors um, they were able to. Bring in D'Angelo Russell um, and shooting guard Trevion Graham and point guard Shabazz Napier from the Nets. Um, but to make the numbers work, Golden State had to trade Andre Godala, um, who's on the final season of a three-year, $48 million contract, to the Grizzlies with a protected tw- 2024 first-round pick. Um, that that pick that Memphis is getting is top one through four protected that year, 2024. It's number one protected in 2025 and it's unprotected 
and 2026. So basically, they just gave the Grizzlies a draft pick as incentive for the Grizzlies to take on a pretty massive salary in 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 Iguodala, which you know, honestly, it, it was a sad it was a sad moment I think for the organization yesterday to see Andre go, especially like that, you know, in a in a salary dump uh to a team that's not anywhere close to competing, you know, it's very possible that he'll get bought out. You know, there's already been rumblings that Houston, which obviously went after him really hard a couple years ago, would be interested in signing him. I'm sure there will be a bunch of other teams. This is a guy who has has somewhat of a case for a Hall of Fame candidacy someday. I mean, it, he's only made one All-Star team, but he has been an essential, essential uh, pillar to the Warriors dynasty. Um, he, do, he did all the little things. He was a stabilizing force, both offensively and defensively. Um, he was a good locker room guy. Um, he really came to embody a lot of the ethos and what what the Warriors are about. Um, and most importantly, I think he is their best one-on-one perimeter defender. You know, he, he was the lockdown guy for the James Hardens of the world. You know, he he was the guy that you could put on anyone and trust that he would at least make life difficult on someone like a James Harden or, or a Damian Lillard or, or what have you, which there's not a lot of guys in the league, especially in their mid thirties uh, that can do that. And um, you know, so kind of an in, the end of an era there, you know, obviously a lot is being made of Durant leaving deservedly, but in terms of the legacy of the Warriors, the legacy of this dynasty, Iguodala is more important. I mean, he was there the whole time. He was there with, uh, he was there the past six years. He got to, he was with them in, during their breakthrough. Obviously, he was on that Denver team that that lost to the Warriors back in the day in, in the playoffs, and I think that was part of why he wanted to come to the Warriors. And then Bob Myers pulled off some salary cap gymnastics to get uh to get Andre Iguodala and he shepherded the young guys helped bring along Draymond Green, Clay Thompson and uh was a leader of that second unit showed a lot of professionalism and in in seating uh his starting spot um and then you know was really successful as a small ball you know, helping out in that small ball Hamptons five, if you want to call it that, or death lineup um, when when they needed to in, in important important playoff games. So um, definitely the end of an era. Definitely, I know that Bob Myers took that one hard. You know, the, the, this is a business, but at the same time, relationships are built, bonds are made. I know Bob is personally very close to Andre, and I'm sure – that was really tough. You know, a lot of NBA fans will just see, you know, the the news scroll on Sports Center at the bottom of their screen or what have you and and see, oh, I guess Andre's gone. Okay. Well, in, in the reality of the Warriors, in, in that community, in that locker room, in that franchise, that organization, um that that hurts. I'm sure some t- some some tears were shed. Um I would not I, I would not surprise me. Um 
But, you know, it was, I think, a move that the Warriors had to make uh, because they're at a pivotal crossroads in their franchise right now. Um, You know, they obviously are looking at being without Klay Thompson for most, if if not all, of next season with that ACL injury. Um, Klay Thompson, you know, did resign, so that was important news, long-expected news, but he will not be around. And without Klay Thompson and, and, and given the, the salary cap constraints that I just alluded to uh, moments ago, the Warriors – we're looking at having a tough time of even making the playoffs next season, um, which sounds crazy for a team that's made five straight finals, but that's the reality they were, they were staring down. I mean, you know, with, with, uh, with that roster, you're, you're going to have to lean a ton on Steph Curry and Draymond Green just to, just to get through the doldrums of the season and hope, pray and hope that maybe Clay can come back, February, March after the all-star break and, and you guys still have a chance to make the playoffs. And then, and then you guys have enough in the tank to maybe steal a round or two in the playoffs. And maybe that championship pedigree kicks in and, and you shock some people and make the finals. I mean, it's possible, but it's highly, highly unlikely. The Warriors realized that and they felt the need to, Get younger, um, and that—that that is what D'Angelo Russell provides. He provides youth. He provides excitement. Um, this is given, given all the constraints the Warriors are facing. This was really the only way for the Warriors to add an All-Star level talent to their roster. Um, it was the only way, and they. I think looked at it and they said, you know what? This isn't an ideal fit. It doesn't make a lot of sense from a basketball, you know, X's and O's fit standpoint, but from, from a talent standpoint, it's the only option. Um, And this is a league that's all about talent. You know, you, you, you accumulate as much talent as possible. And then you go from there. And that's, that's, the decision they made and I think it was worth it. I mean, it might not work out, but it was a decision kind of like the uh DeMarcus Cousins signing last summer that I feel they had to make. Um because the last thing you want to do is age out and just kind of let your reign on the, over the NBA die with a whimper you know at least at least they're going out trying they're going out swing and um from a fit standpoint it's going to be really fascinating to see how this all unfolds um on first glance this just does not make a lot of sense obviously uh d'angelo russell plays the exact same position as steph curry they're both point guards um i would think that if they're playing together, which they probably will have to, that you have you have uh, D'Angelo at least guarding shooting guards because he's longer and taller. Um, but you can have them both 
bring up the ball. You can have them both initiate the offense. I think Steph has proven he can play off the ball. D'Angelo's game is completely predicated on having the ball in his hands. He is one of the best pick-and-roll players in the league. He, uh, I believe, was third or fourth in the entire NBA last season in pick-and-rolls, which is fascinating because the Warriors were dead last in the NBA last season in in, in pick-and-roll frequency. This is, a, uh, as you all know, a Warriors offense that subsists on ball movement, making extra pass, um, setting a lot of screens. Um, the pick and roll is has been more of a has been more of a thing that they use just in in really isolated situations when they absolutely need a bucket. They'll they'll set up a pick and roll with with KD and let KD go to work in isolation, but. Um, you know, you're going to you're going to have to figure out a way for that to work. I mean, do you Steve's going to have to a hope that D'Angelo can figure out how to how to buy into that movement heavy system, but the reality too is to get the most out of D'Angelo Russell, you're going to have to run a lot of high pick and low action and um pick and roll action and He's gonna. It's gonna be, I think, a fun, interesting challenge for for Steve Kerr and D'Angelo Russell. We also know uh, is not an elite defender by any stretch of the imagination. He's, I, I would call him a middling defender at, at best. And so playing Steph Curry and D'Angelo next to each other. You're you're leaving yourself very vulnerable defensively, especially since you don't really have those elite wing defenders. You know, with with Andre gone, and then Clay due to miss most of a, all of next season. Um, that's kind of scary from a defensive standpoint. It's hard to imagine the Warriors finishing in the top ten in the NBA defensively next season with that as their options. Uh, you know, which has always been a stated goal of the Warriors. They want to be top five defensively, and if nothing else, at least top ten. They feel like that's been just as important as their juggernaut offense in terms of uh, this this five year kind of stranglehold on the NBA. Uh, but you know, you like I said earlier, you gotta you gotta take the opportunities that are in front of you. And you have to do the best with what you have. And that is what the Warriors did yesterday. And it will have enormous repercussions we will see in coming days in terms of what the rest of the roster looks like. Um, so, you know, the it had kind of it kind of had looked like entering Sunday that the the bench was taking shape. You kind of had an idea of who they were bringing back. They had extended qualifying offers to Quinn Cook and Jordan Bell. At this point, um, there's no guarantee that any of these remaining free agents are coming back because the Warriors want to limit the repeater tax just to ensure that they have more spending power next season. And even though the Warriors have been aggressive in terms of spending money, I think there is a sort of breaking point, especially when you're talking about bench guys and the hard cap. And, and I know that's a lot of 
basketball salary cap jargon that I don't necessarily want to get into defining at all because it, it, it will take so long. But the reality of the situation is, given the constraints the Warriors are facing, um, the Warriors could have to part ways with DeMarcus Cousins, Quinn Cook, Jordan Bell, Jonas Drepko, and Andrew Bogut. Now, Drepko and Andrew Bogut, it was both expected that they were not coming back next season. Bogut's already back in Australia, going to play in the National Basketball League with the Sydney Kings, going to honor his responsibility there. Um, Jarebko had a, had a good season last season, really a solid first half of the season, but he's, he's I think, a little too old for, for what they need right now. So there, there was no expectation of him coming back. But there was still some outside hope that the Warriors could maybe bring back DeMarcus, but um, especially given that it looks like the Knicks, which the, it had been rumored the Knicks were going to kind of use DeMarcus as a backup plan, but right now that does not look like that's actually the case. Uh, they they went after uh, Randall uh, from New Orleans, which I, I think makes more sense. He's younger, healthier. Um, so may, there might have been a chance before Sunday where the Warriors could be, be able to bring back DeMarcus on, at six point three five or whatever it was that they can they can offer him but uh just from a repeater tag standpoint it, it it's not going to make sense um and i think quinn cook's probably gone too jordan bell probably gone and honestly kevon looney's even a question mark at this point which sounds crazy but you know he he was called a cornerstone of the franchise but steve kerr he was so reliable when they needed it last season with so much uncertainty at, in that front court. Um, and because the Warriors have his bird rights, they can, they can, uh, they can match, they can go over the salary cap to match whatever offer he gets. And it's, right now it's looking like he's getting significant interest. But if you, if you bring back Kavan, you're really hamstringing yourself in terms of what you can do to to round out the rest of that roster. I mean, that, that's going to be a really, really tough decision, I think, for the Warriors to make. I still think Kuban comes back because I just don't think the Warriors can stomach letting him go when they technically have the power to bring him back, given the fact that they have his bird rights. But... <sighs> It's it's going to be at a cost, um, you know. It's going to be at a cost, and it'll be interesting too to see what the Warriors do with Trevion Graham and Shabazz Napier. You know, those are two guys that were kind of relative afterthoughts given the scope of the D'Angelo Russell news. But you know, those are two guys that provide you backcourt depth. Trevion Graham's pretty versatile; he can play some forward as well. Um, Shabazz Napier's not a bad option as a backup point guard. Um, and I think, you know, if you keep Shabazz Napier, it, it could kind of ease the sting of letting go of Quinn Cook. Um, but you know, if the Warriors decide for whatever reason that they do not want to bring back either of those guys, um, it won't be a huge deal because none, neither of their contracts are guaranteed at the moment. So, um, they could, they could let them go. They could wave them at no no consequence. So they they have they have some really tough decisions to make. I think that it'll come to light in the next couple of days exactly how uh, 
this all looks, but the reality of the situation is that Sunday, June 30th, 2019 was a landmark day in Warriors history. This will be a day that you will look back on five, 10 years from now as potentially a turning point in terms of did the, were the Warriors able to rebuild on the fly and stay competitive and, and kind of keep those hopes of emulating the Spurs alive? Um, or was this just, you know, a shot in the dark that didn't work? You know, was this kind of an act of desperation um, that was unnecessary and led down led the Warriors down a path that they don't want to go down? Because like I said earlier, this isn't, from an X's and O's standpoint, this doesn't make a lot of sense. There, there have been national writers that I've seen in the past, you know, 12 or so hours since this broke killing this trade. Uh, I believe I believe Sports Illustrator gave it a C minus saying they felt like it was an act of desperation. Um but and I and I agree with that to an extent, but like I said earlier, it might have been desperate, but it was also kind of their only rabbit to pull out of their hat. It was kind of their only big uh ace in the hole. And you know, if it's all you got, go for it, right? I mean, that's how the Warriors have always thought. Go big. You know, they they don't want to be content just waving the white flag on next season, because especially given the fact that they're going to the Chase Center and we all know how much money fans are all paying to watch them. So it's going to be fascinating. Um, it's not over, guys. Stay locked and loaded, as always, at SF Chronicle, sfchronicle.com. I will try to bring you every uh morsel tidbit that i can try to analyze all this stuff from every perspective even at the risk of sacrificing my sleep but you know what just got to get through free agency and then uh hopefully i can get a little bit of vacation but not complaining guys because it's always so fun uh covering this team covering a team that is so loved by all the readers so um we're gonna keep this podcast going at least weekly throughout the off season, even when I'm off, we will have it going strong. I'm sure there will be plenty of stuff to talk about. I'm going to be heading up to Sacramento tonight for this thing called Summer League. <laughs> Remember what that was? I mean, it got very overshadowed uh, by everything that went on yesterday, but that is going on next three days in Sacramento. And then uh, and then I'll be heading to Vegas for the rest of that. Uh, but, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I appreciate it. I want to thank you for listening to my first solo effort on the podcast. I promise you, it will not become a trend. But given the importance of Sunday, I felt it necessary to break down what it all means. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.